runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 288 with guest Steve Murawski, recorded Tuesday, October 30th, 2012. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm back in the studio at home in a break during the road trip. We got a few days off to uh, sort of rest and recover, avoided Hurricane Sandy, which is all good. And if you haven't heard about the road trip, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big road trip link, and you'll see the insanity that is 37 cities in 12 weeks. But uh, that doesn't matter right now because I get to go home for a few days, and that meant I got to sit down and do Run As Radio's the old-fashioned way. And with me today is Stephen Moransky, the Senior Windows System Engineer at EdgeNet and an MVP in PowerShell. And you do your own share of podcasts too, don't you, sir? Well, um, I, I've been doing a lot more interviews recently. I, I, ran, I did have a system admin-focused podcast for a number of years. I've been trying to get it restarted. Um, but life has kind of gotten in the way between me and my co-hosts. Uh, yeah, we had the Mind of Root podcast, and right. we had a good three years of content out there, and I, I'm I'm really itching to get back into the game. <laughs> well, it's such a busy time uh, with Server 2012 finally dropping and uh, the whole Win8 experience. Like, there's so much going on. It's it's exciting. Oh yeah, and I mean, I've been I've been hip deep in Server 2012. For, for the last year, uh, you know, we were one of the tap customers, so I've had this stuff in production for, for quite some time, but even so, I'm still digging out new features here and there, and it's just hugely exciting time. It's cool. So you want to talk about web farms a bit? What have you been doing in this area? Well, uh, you know, my current job, uh, one, one of the things that we do is we have a bunch of websites mm -hmm. and so managing web farms is is the topic that's near and dear to my heart and you know i'm, I'm also very eager and um interested in the, the whole devops movement and uh microsoft's starting to embrace that concept uh, as well and for me you know um yeah devops really fits in well with web web farms and web deployment and so the two concepts kind of kind of roll together, and there's some nice tooling uh, that I don't think a lot of people know too much about. Um, Web Deploy or MS Deploy is uh, a lot more well known because it's used to publish stuff to Azure. It's used to publish stuff right out of Visual Studio. Right. Um, you know, so uh, it's used from uh, the Web Platform Installer. So that has a little more visibility. But there's another tool uh, out there called the Web Farm Framework, and you can find bits of scattered, you know, references on various sites like IIS.net to it. Um, what that tool kind of uh, embraces as an idea is the ability to manage your web farms kind of as, as groups, you know, rather than managing individual IIS servers. I get it. Hang on. Before we go tearing into this, because I really want to talk through both of these products, for folks mm -hmm. who really haven't heard a lot about DevOps, how do you define this term? Okay. Uh, so DevOps, it, there is a lot, there's a lot of, uh, confusion around that term. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's thrown around a lot. 
Uh, DevOps isn't particular tools or products. It, it's really a philosophy, and it's it's about embracing communication between operations and development uh, to increase the you know, the velocity of being able to get product out the door and get it in get it in front of customers and get it get feedback coming back. Um, you know, it's developers working with IT pros to instrument applications so that, you know, people can respond effectively when things happen. It's about getting code, you know, out faster as well as, you know, it's not, you know, there's, you know, one thing that comes up is uh, this concept of no-ops, right. you know, where um, some people have the idea that DevOps is, you know, developers pushing code and, ma- and maintaining it. And, you know, they're the ones who are on, on pager duty who are getting the calls when yep. an app goes down. Um, that, that's not DevOps. That's, that's, that's more no-ops. For certain environments, that might work. Um, but most environments, you have operations personnel and you have developers. And there are yeah. two, these two silos. And DevOps is about breaking down those silos. It's not about creating new teams that have, you know, that, that are DevOps teams. It's, it's taking the existing guys and getting them to talk. Getting, and then building some tooling around that so that there's greater visibility across the stack for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, often the piece I see, spending a lot of time with developers in my day job as well, is they have pretty good visibility into their processes. You know, their their agile practices do work for getting good features put together and getting to the point of the build. It's just a question of what happens then. I, I find an awful lot of operations folks just struggling to see what's actually happening in production and capturing that data in a way that they can feed it back into development to make it better. Right, because you know a, a big part of that is okay when you're when you're working and you're iterating in, from the developer side, you're working, you're iterating through a product, and you're getting feedback. You're working in a pretty constrained environment. You're either developing on your desktop, or you mm-hmm. have you know you have a dev environment, and you're able to attach debuggers. And you know when you want to dig into a problem, you can get as much detail as you need. Right. That's not the case in most production environments, mm-hmm. and so, you know, what, what gets lost is, hey, as an, as an operations person, I need to get a lot of detailed information about the application, too, so I can figure out what's going on. Sure. You know, so w- one of the things that, you know, that, that's part of the whole DevOps things is instrumenting these applications and having these guys talk so that the devs know what's important to the operations guys for monitoring. Right. That the, that the IT guys know what resources that these uh, these applications touch. Are they touching database servers? Do they need files off of a file server? You know, is there a specific configuration on the server that's important, you know, across the web farm or just, you know, for that particular server? Uh, there's all sorts of moving parts, and each app is different. But DevOps is really about getting those two groups to talk and break down those walls so that, you know, management can become a feature in the application. Sure. Well, and it just, uh, you know, acting on the truth, having good instrumentation in production, which I think is a piece we've struggled with for a long time, yep. so that you can act, you're not arguing, you know, why did the app crash? You're looking at the data of the crash and saying, here's what happened, guys. How do we fix this? Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I've worked on the dev side of the fence and I've worked on, and I've mainly worked on the IT side of the fence. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, I've spent a bit of time. I, I can talk. I can talk some of the lingo with with our with our dev teams, 
and I've got an idea of, you know, some of the challenges and things. So that gives me an idea where to start troubleshooting. But really, it, it comes, it comes down to getting, getting the teams together, getting them to talk, and it's on both sides of the fence. You know, the IT guy's gotta be open to the idea of understanding what these sprints and these iterations are and what, what the output of those things is. You know, and hey, maybe there's a way to get that into production a little faster. Maybe not necessarily turning on new features, but getting the code out there so that we do find out if something's going to blow up a lot faster than if we wait until we have this major point release at, right. you know, six, uh, twice a year or something. Yeah, I think the, the, we only update a couple times a year or four times a year it just isn't going to work if we're going to be responsive like that. And I've certainly run across that uh, in my work in making per- in performance websites. There's no fast website out there that doesn't have a tighter connection between those two. They need it. It, it. Otherwise, you just can't go fast. Yep. And you can't go fast. And, and you know, there really is some value in in the whole agile mindset in the, you know, iterate quickly, get it in front of customers, get feedback, yep. fix what's wrong, and improve what's bet, what's going well. And that, that cycle kind of stops at, at the dev QA area. Right. Because getting it into user acceptance testing or production is a much slower process and breaking down those barriers, making that, making that go faster makes the whole process better, makes the product, you might not fail, you might still fail a lot because things will break, but you might fix them a lot faster and end up with a better product down the road. Sure. All right. So from my experience dealing with Microsoft products, the, the products around dealing with web farms seem confused because there's the web platform installer, there's the one you mentioned, web deploy, and then there's mm-hmm. also the web farm framework. Yep. So can you rationalize these three products? Uh, I'll try. Uh, it, it, it's tough to rationalize because it, it, it's exactly what you said. The, the story around IIS seems to be really confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, it, IIS, it's a component of the operating system, but you go to an event like TechEd and the IIS booth is in the, you know, is by the dev tools. And <laughs> so, you know, th- there's, IIS is one of these areas where operations and developers kind of collide. Yeah. And, uh, so the tooling there, web deploy is, is doing yeoman's work in, in trying to merge these two environments and, and to, to give a uh, more of a unified method of actually getting stuff out into production. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's um, kind of under, it, it's used everywhere, but I think it's kind of underrated in that standpoint. Because I've always looked at WebDeploy's main strength is it was the one tool that could pick up an IIS 6 site and move it to IIS 7 without breaking anything. Yep, and IIS 7 to IIS 8, you know, it's, it's a great tool for that, but it's also a great tool for um, being able to take output from you know, from your build process and deploy it to, you know, QA servers or to UAT servers or, right. to, or to your production servers. It's a great way to, to package that application in all the required settings um, as well as parameterize it. So you can, you know, if I'm pushing to UAT, I can specify, or UAT user acceptance testing. If I'm right. pushing to that environment, I can specify the right connection strings. And because it's a command line tool and it can be driven by a configuration file, I can put change control around how sure. you know, how this is done. I can make it a step in my build process. I can make it, you know, if I, if, 
know, I can end up with that, you know, big red button deploy concept. Where yeah, which is, which is vital if we're going to move quickly, like just being able to automate that. And I think you hit on the biggest thing that I see with web deploy. What really saves your bacon is if you got five servers, this thing insists that those servers are configured the same, that it, it deals with that configuration stuff. Cause I can't tell you how many times we found one of the servers in the farm got twiddled. And yep. it's and it's different and it's subtly different and so every so often you get this weird effect. Yep, and you know web deploy can actually help you with that. Uh, there's a prerequisite checker that's part of web deploy, and it'll do it as part of its sync process. When it when you say hey synchronize this site with that site, it'll look to make sure all the right features and things are there and configured right. But you can also do that as a standalone step. So it's a you know it's a great analysis tool or, or validation tool if you're. Uh, if you want to make part of your process to, you know, periodically go through and check your environment. Um, but uh, web deploy, you know, I mentioned, you know, a little bit earlier that it was kind of the, the underpinnings of how you can deploy stuff out of Visual Studio. Right. It's, it's also used by a web platform installer. Right. So when you want to pick up and throw a WordPress site on IIS through a web platform installer, it's doing all that through, uh, through the uh, web deploy. And the, the parameterization you see, the prompts in, in the web platform installer, are are actually the parameters that are defined for web deploy. And I generally see web PI used by devs. Like, that doesn't seem to be a product that, that Ops uses all that often. No, I think you're going to start seeing it end up, uh, end up a little more on servers um, for production use, yeah. uh, IIS 8. Mm-hmm. Every time you fire up the admin council until you turn off this alert, it says, "Hey, do you want to keep connected with Web Platform Installer to keep all your components up to date?" Okay, uh, so you, you get this little uh, uh, prompt there. It's because it, it cl- clear this product came out of the, the dev div, and it was originally sort of very wrapped around the new development styles for web that that Microsoft was promoting. But uh, and it's exciting to me that they would start pushing that over, and saying, "This is a pretty good ops tool too. If you just want to get services pushed onto a web server, here's how you do it." Well, not only services, but, but tooling and, and, and features. Mm-hmm. So um, application request routing, URL rewriting, um, IIS, uh, transforms, uh, these optional components. Because IIS, with starting with 7 um, and 7.75 and now 8, has this plug-in model where you can take you know features and just kind of turn them on and off uh, in your server manager. Well, you can also pull in additional out-of-band stuff like application request routing and URL rewriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Web Platform Installer is one of the ways that those things are delivered. Okay. And so and, and now I'm starting to get some context here that Web PI uses Web Deploy as part of its mechanism. Web Deploy is one of these underpinning products that Web PI calls upon. Yep. And Web Farm Framework, Web Farm Frameworks had an interesting history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've really been interested in, in, in the product since I first saw it come out a number of years ago uh, when, when version one came out. And version one of Web Farm Framework had the concept of um, maintaining your server configurations, um, providing a, a workflow engine, and uh, helping you configure application request routing, which, is, which was a relatively new feature at the time. Um, it's, uh, it had it had its issues, yeah. So uh, they iterated on that, and Web Farm Framework two came out eventually. And this is really a product that's come out of the IIS team. Yes. 
So, I mean, I, I said, I think that's an important distinction in the mentality of, uh, you know, the intent of the product. It comes out of IIS.net. It's, it's aimed at ops from the, from the get go, as opposed to what's happened with WebTI, where it sort of started on the dev side and it's moving to ops. Yep. And because it's trying to, it's trying to deal with an operator's issue of, you know, okay, I've got a number of web servers. How do I keep them all in sync? Yep. How do I make sure that, um, the applications I deploy are consistent across them, that the configuration on the servers is consistent, and that my, my, uh, my load balancing and uh, health checking is consistent across them. Right. So that, that's, that's kind of where this web farm framework tool grew out of. And, uh, they released version two, and then, uh, there were a couple of point releases off of that. And, um, you can still get Web Farm Framework 2.2. Uh, it's a download that's available out there. Right. Uh, there is a little gotcha. Um, it's dependent on uh, the web platform installer, and it's dependent on a specific version of it. Right oh. now, the web <laughs> right now web platform installer uh, is out there in uh, version four. Yep. Uh, web Farm Framework 2.2 will not install if you have the latest and greatest Web PI out there. Oh no. <laughs> you have to have version, uh, I think version two or three. Okay, but that's okay because we're we're, we're kind of getting past the stage of Web Farm Framework two, um, and now, you know, the the whole concept of Web Farm Framework being a separate thing is, is starting to go away, and the IIS team is actually bundling uh, most of the Web Farm Framework components in application request routing. Okay. Because ARR stood up on its own, right? I mean, that came along in in IIS seven, and then it, now it seems to be pulled into Web Farm Framework. Now, you know, well, we better back all the way up here for folks who have not played with ARR. We better let's talk about it. application re- request routing. What does it mean? Application request routing is uh, basically a way to, to do a uh, reverse proxy or or to um, allow um, allow a front-end server to direct requests to back-end application servers based on the URL and other, well, and not just the URL because it can actually, it's a layer seven router. So it can take a look at any component in the, in your whole request. So you can look at cookies, you can look at, you know, query string, you can look at post parameters. Um, It's, it's got a really rich model for being able to do this, but the, the overall concept is that it gives you the ability to do some load balancing mm-hmm. amongst your web servers, um, some health checking to make sure that the web servers you're balancing across. This is one of the downfalls of NLB is it doesn't provide health checking. So ARR helps provide some health checking of your servers, making sure that they're giving valid response codes. So, and what what does it mean? And what are they doing as far as health checking is concerned? Is this really using perfmon? Like, what are they capturing? There's a couple of things. There's there's a live health monitoring that's going on all the time with every request. So every request that goes through, it's making sure that it gets a valid response code. Right. Uh, so just an HTTP code coming back that falls into a certain um, guideline. You can also sp- set up some specific health monitoring. So you could have a monitoring URL for your web server that you go and hit and watch for certain content to be there. So you could, you know, you can have you know, whatever kind of, so for example, we have an application internally that has a status page that tells us, you know, hey, you know, SQL Server Connection's good, this, you know, gives you some stats and things like that. So I could watch for keywords on that status page to tell me whether or not a particular application is still good to, good to be routed to. 
and and Ellen's doing is watching for if we're not getting three hundreds or if we're getting five hundreds. Like that's a pretty simple thing to watch for. Yep. Yeah, it's a pretty simple thing to watch for. I mean, it's it's they're definitely richer, more powerful load balancers sure. out there that can do more in-depth health checking. Um, so are you using ARR instead of NLB, or do the two work together? Yes. <laughs> so we're, we're actually looking... <laughs> We're actually we're actually working on mi- on migrating migrating more to uh, ARR um, for the health checking for some of the caching that it can do because it can do uh, it can do some caching as well for you. Well, I also thought that ARR was able to load balance on a session cookie where NLB could only load balance on the IP address. Correct. Okay. Uh, th- there are there's a, actually I think five or six different algorithms that you can use uh, for load balancing in ARR mm-hmm. um, as, and you know. You can do custom load balancing as well. So, for example, if you have a physical, couple physical IS boxes you want to route more traffic to, right. and you're adding VMs to your farm uh, to help with uh, some additional load or capacity, you sure. could give them a lower percentage of traffic. So, y- you can, you know, you can do on session cookies. You can do host based affinity. You can yeah. do client based affinity. You have a, you actually have a wide variety of options. Um, in, as far as how you want to, you know, affinitize that traffic and, and, and route that traffic. And that's stuff that NLB has never had. Correct. Recognize that NLB is also a larger product than just load balancing for web servers, too. Yeah. NLB does, uh, I mean, it, NLB has its place and has its purpose. And, yeah. And, and actually, one of the uses for NLB is to provide high availability for your ARR servers. Right. Because the, the, now you have a new single point of failure. So, and, and ARR machines have to be isolated. They live on their own. They're not serving page requests directly. You can, um, but it's recommended that they, that they be standalone. Okay. So now I'm starting to see the architecture here where I'm using NLB to create redundancy between a pair of ARR servers that are then actually doing, say, session based load balancing across a group of web servers. Yep. And and I'm only doing session based because I'm not presuming that everybody's going to want to build everything stateless and that they're going to want the same user to go back to the same server every time. Yep. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very common scenario, and yep. that's that's kind of that's one of the you know that's one of the design points for for ARR. Um, now with ARR 2.5, um, that's where it starts incorporating the UI of Web Farm Framework. Okay. With its install. And this is IIS eight. Um, IIS 7, uh, 7, 5, and 8. Okay, so for 2008 R2 and for 2012, we started getting... I mean, this is where ARR suddenly stopped being a module and became this console. Yeah, it, it, it's still treat, it's still installed as a module and you see it as a module. Right. But when, when you actually go into... If you're looking in IIS Manager at the sites and you see all the different modules that are available for security and URL rewriting and, um, you know, uh, content, you know, your MIME types... You don't see ARR anywhere. Right now, you, now you get this n- another little submenu of web farms, or a little subsection uh, off to the left-hand column that says web farms, mm-hmm. and that lets you build your your logical groups of web farms for ARR because ARR can can balance uh, can balance for you know multiple type multiple web farms. Right. So, you know, if you have you know. You want to have three or four different internal applications and everything coming and hitting a couple of large ARR servers, or you know, relatively large. You don't have, don't have to be super big, yeah. <laughs> but just, you know, just beefy enough to handle all the incoming requests and parcel them out to the correct app servers. 
Um, so you can you can manage those web farms logically inside your ARR console. Mm-hmm. Um, things you we did lose a little bit between Web Farm Framework two two and when ARR and Web Farm Framework kind of became the same thing. Right. We we lost the workflows engine that was there. Okay. What, was, we lost, what were you using the workflow for engine for? Um, so if you want to um, basically issue any kind of command line application across and have it run across all of your servers in your web farm, right? It was just a it was a workflow scheduling engine basically. Nice. And r- really, System Center or Palace or um, uh, Orchestrator, Orchestrator. Um, is really a better engine for that. Um, you know, because that's that's really enterprise. Yeah, job that's scheduling. but also priced accordingly. Right, like yeah. it, you go from what was originally just a free tool that you could download and you could manage across your web farm to, if you're going to play with Orchestrator, you're going to have Config Man and Ops Man in your life as well. Like that's three fairly hefty per server licensed products to buy. Yeah, and it, you know, there's there's definitely that, but you also now have uh, with Windows Management Framework three, which is available for. Server 2008, mm-hmm. Server 2008 R2, and is built in in, in Windows uh, Server 2012, uh, is PowerShell version 3 in the Windows Management Framework. Right. And that provides you a workflow engine out of the box. And as as we all know, there's nothing you can't touch in PowerShell yeah. <laughs> on the Windows platform. And with the integration of workflow, uh, you have resilient, long-running jobs that can target multiple machines. So... There's features there that allow you to kind of pick up the slack from what we lost um, as far as the workflow engine mm-hmm. in Web Farm 2, uh, between 2 and 2.5. It is a little more roll-your-own, though. Right. Um, and, and I don't know if you know if we're going to see that feature set come back into ARR or not. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb and say prob- I, I don't think so. Um, given that, you know, there's tooling elsewhere for that, but you never well, know. Well, and we're, it feels like we're in a cycle right now where they, they really are reorganizing a bunch of different products that, that came, that were each trying to solve the same problem from different directions. So, you know, we may, we shed some functionality out of, uh, of Web Farm Framework 2.2 that really got picked up by the management framework because the management framework's got a better handle on it anyway. Yep. And, and, and it just takes the time to sort all that out. And we and it still doesn't feel like like I want to believe there's somebody back at Microsoft that has a plan. <laughs> I'm not always sure that's true though. Yeah, you know, I I I actually I, I feel a lot better about that story uh right now. Mm-hmm. Um through my interactions uh, you know in the PowerShell community and in the tap, uh the uh current lead architect for Server and uh, System Center because they uh, they've merged the two organizations. So uh, you'll see uh, now System Center and Server are, are probably going to seem a lot tighter going forward because they, they've just they've reorged for that. But the lead architect for for now both those environments is Jeffrey Snover, who's the guy who was behind PowerShell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know from early on with his Monad manifesto, he kind of laid out a grand vision for manageability and it's been marching that way pretty steadily. And given that they keep promoting the guy, you know, I, I, I feel, uh, I feel that there's, uh, some validation of his view in, in that organization. Absolutely. And you've had Jeffrey on the show a couple of times. And, and talking so, about DevOps too. So, yep. 
I mean, he clearly uh, has a vision of this going forward. Now, if I throw on my experience with DevOps looking over in the open source community where this sort of this stuff came from, one of the big capabilities uh, was great package management that we have as developers are building different versions of the app and in some cases building several a day. Operations needs to be able to see those things, figure out which ones they want to deploy, and then use this automation to deploy a new version to one server in the farm so that you mm -hmm. can monitor that server and see how it behaves differently from the body of the farm. And I haven't seen anything in this collection of tools that really lends itself to that viewpoint. What, what have you seen? Well, actually, Web Deploy does. Okay. Uh, and, and now it's it's the... You know, when you when you look at in the open source uh, side of things and and what what they're doing with um, you know the configuration management, there, there's not the big end to end tool set that right. there is in, in those environments, but all the pieces are there. Yeah, and you know the DevOps thing I think is just starting to that idea, that concept is starting to catch hold um, in the Microsoft space now. For me, you know, when I heard the definition of DevOps, I'm like, okay, that's my normal job. That's what I do. I'm a systems administrator. I'm supposed to know these environments. I'm supposed to, fit, you know, work with my developers. You know, uh, to me, that always seemed kind of, you know, uh, self-evident. But by getting this term DevOps and, and by getting the buzz around it, it's, a, it's actually driving a lot of attention towards that and towards breaking down those silos. Right. Um, so the tool, the tool chain is somewhat lacking. Uh, now there's improvements coming through. For example, System Center Operations Manager has the ability to instrument code now in that's in production yep. and get get a lot of great uh, information back to your dev team. That's the application performance monitor. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you know you have uh, Virtual Machine Manager where you're able to configure virtual machine templates so you can lay down new uh, and you, that actually understands web deploy packages. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you know, create new templates for uh, particular versions of your application and, and lay those down. Um, but then you're, you're talking this whole system center chain, like you're talking before. Now you have a significant investment on your hands. Sure, without a doubt. And it, I think that's part of the game here is, you know, I, I look at the no-ops model as, all right, you're the guy who wrote the code. You're the guy running the system. You're the guy fielding the calls from the customer. Like, you just have to talk to yourself. Or it's or it's a table for two to argue yep. over how do we keep this thing alive and keep it growing. You know, startups, that's fine for no-ops. And in the really big organizations – well, we've been doing versions of this for a while. We may not be fast at it, but there had to be strong communication channels because it's just so much going on. And suddenly, System Center and so forth playing ball in that space is great. You've made that big investment. Uh, you're running all this infrastructure. It just does a better job. It's the guy in the middle trying to figure out how far can I, you know, now that I'm going to multiple web servers, how am I managing this? How do I see this? And when do I, and how can I justify that big expense? Or can I hold off a little longer these basic tools that I still have to assemble myself? Will they do what I need them to do? Yeah. And, and so, you know, web deploy gives you a whole bunch of some of, of the capability that you're looking for. It's, it's the orchestration part that is missing. Right. Um, so, you know, w one of the cool things in WebPoy 3 is the concept of auto-configuring backups yeah. of the site. So um, you go to deploy a new site and the server is configured for automatic backups. 
you, you, you deploy the site, it first takes a backup of the existing site. So if something goes wrong during the deploy, back. it can roll back yeah. by itself, or you can roll it back if things aren't working. Mm-hmm. You know, in so you can create your kind of A/B testing or your um, you know where, where you where you roll out that new code to a, a single server or a subset of servers, and the rest of your code's running elsewhere. And yep. you can use ARR to redirect you know, a small portion of your traffic to the new server. Uh, you know, you have those tools there, but the the overall coordination of that is something that, you know, you kind of have to roll your own. Yeah, I think one way you could describe this is in the free stack, the orchestrator slash workflow tool is PowerShell, and you write it. Yep. It can be done, and it's not even particularly hard. You have all the bits. It's just a question of how you do it. And some of those consoles you're going to have to build yourself. I mean, we've just talked through an awful lot of bits of software, of you being able to see a package, know which package to pick up, how you push it to an individual server, and how you A-B test it. What's the monitoring you've got set up on your stable set of servers compared to this new one? And you could say, make that call of, this is healthy, it's not healthy. Maybe we're staging load into it, so we dial it back to 20% of its normal load and then add more on and add more on to, all right, that's good enough. You know, We can deploy across or it's not good enough. Let's leave it in place with a small load and feedback to development here, the changes I need, or it's really not good, let's roll it back. You know, you've talked about a whole lot of work that needs to be done. Sure. And yes, the tool set's all there to do it, you know, as far as you know, PowerShell giving you the, the whole underpinning to do it all. Um, the nice thing is, though, is once you put that in place, once you take that significant investment of time to, you know, have that infrastructure in place to push to a, a, a single server or a small group of servers, uh, you have your you have your servers and and the application code instrumented sufficient that you know what you're watching for um, so that you can make those determinations. Once that's in place, it's in place. Right. You know, so it, it's, yes, it's a significant investment up front. And there are people who are out there doing this stuff up front. You know, in, in, you know from my, you know, conversations day to day with people, I, I try to get out to a lot of community events and talk to people about what they're doing. People are doing this stuff and they're using these tools to do it. Yep. And admittedly, you know, in, in this free scenario or near free scenario, each of your apps is going to be somewhat unique in that configuration. Yeah, I, I, I still think that, you know, this uh, PowerShell 3 and, and the Windows Management Framework stuff uh, for version 3 is still relatively fresh out there. Yep. I think you'll see something crop up in the open source space, um, you know, before too long. There's a great open source community around PowerShell and around the, the whole DevOps concept. You know, the, the PowerShell... Uh, <laughs> PowerShell fan base uh, is is a pretty interesting group because yeah. you have DBAs, you have developers, and you have IT pros who are all using this thing for various purposes, mm-hmm. but they all have active representatives in the community. And you have a lot of cross-collaboration in the community for stuff like this. Well, you get back to, and I think Jeff uh, Snover said this back in his show on DevOps. You want to see DevOps? Go talk to the PowerShell community. That's where they're already doing it. Exactly. And so, you know, you know, Puppet and Chef um, are two big uh, configuration management tools that you'll see in the open source space. And they're already working to get power and some and they have some PowerShell integration, you know, for their platforms. But that's if you have a a heterogeneous environment, if you're looking for a, you know, solely Windows based management solution, 
I I would be very surprised if we don't see one crop up in the you know in, in the open source PowerShell space, you know in uh, in the near future. I would say. Sure, and uh, and I'll certainly provide links for anyone who wants to look at these tools to, too, because they're pretty powerful stuff. Definitely, as I if as I see this stuff crop up, I'll be happy to forward it forward along uh, any uh, any references I come across. You bet. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for talking to us. It's been a pleasure, Richard. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.